and welcome to Shut Up and Jimmer. I'm your co-host, Steve Pierce, joined as always by my brave, brave friend, Robert F. McCombs the 14th. Robert, how are you today? Doing good, Stephen. We're coming off, a, I think, unexpected in a good way week of BYU basketball, so... I'm really uh, excited to dive into the week. You know, we had I, I don't neither one of us picked two wins, and especially in the manner that happened is really exciting. So, yeah, fun week. We got a really important week coming up, and of course, we have a special guest um, on our podcast today, joined by our fearless third member uh, intern who does great stuff, Phil Hyatt. Um, welcome to the podcast, Phil. It's great to have you on. Yeah, it's great to be on, guys, and. I'll also throw in, I didn't expect the two wins either. I don't think any of us or any real BYU fan expected them to come in the way they, that they did. Yeah, it, no. it was uh, it was a surprising week. And, you know, we, I don't say, I wouldn't say we take the most uh, blue goggled approach here, Robbie. I think that uh, our, we tend to, I like to say, have a, a realistic or a pragmatic view uh, of BYU's abilities to win basketball games. But others might say, uh that we're a little uh, we're a little pessimistic, um, but it's uh, it was it was it was it was good, right? It was good. Yeah, it was. I mean, because coming into the week, this is kind of like I've kind of thought of it like as the swing week of the season. Um, I mean, we there's coming before last week. We had five games left. I mean, we all know Gonzaga is all likelihood going to be a loss. Um, San, San Diego at the end, you would hope you win that at home. San Francisco is a toss-up game, but these two on the road, especially, and there's teams, places BYU has struggled at in the past, and these are probably the San Diego and LMU team are two of the better teams they've had in the past decade. So, I mean, San Diego, they had some good non-conference wins. LMU had some good non-conference wins. So, and BYU had done some good things the week before against a couple of bad teams. So, I, w- I was just really curious to see how BYU would respond against solid competition on the road. And I mean, the first halves were definitely uh, nothing to speak highly of. But I mean, the second halves, the way BYU battled back was just really impressive. Um, was just really impressive to me. I guess what was good for the week, I mean... Is that kind of what you saw, Steve, coming into the week? I kind of saw it as like kind of that swing week. It's like if BYU loses both games, man, we can be the four seed. But BYU needed to at least go one and one to be in line for the two seed. But since BYU swept it, BYU is almost in the driver's seat for that second seed seed now in the WCC tournament. Yeah, I mean, it was the that was the big week, right? We talked about that last week. How. If they went two and zero, they were really they were really cooking with gas, right? In terms of getting that second seed, getting the triple buy uh, into into the semifinals, and uh, I don't think either, neither, neither neither of us thought that would happen. Um, we thought it would be kind of a one and one or an zero and two situation, and then things got significantly mm-hmm. more hairy. Um, but they they stepped up, and kudos to kudos to the team, kudos to Coach Rose and the staff for getting them ready, and uh, and finding a way. Neither of those games were particularly pretty, um, but the end result was what they needed to be, uh, and they are now, like you said, firmly in the driver's seat um, for for that second for second place in the WCC, uh, that second seed in the tournament, which is huge, um, and. It's 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 going to be exciting to see how these last three games and then the conference tournament um, play out. So so let's with that being said, let's dive in. What was what was good um, this week, Robbie? Yeah, I think first of all, I think I mean it's just I think the way BYU fought in the second half. I mean, 
you would ideally like to start well, so you don't dig yourself in a hole to begin with. But I mean, it's interesting. ESPN, they post their real-time win probabilities of the games during the ebb and flow of the game, depending on the prediction prior to the game and just how the game's going. So I mean, that first game, San Diego, one point when San Diego got up, I believe, was 14 in the second half. San Diego had a 96% chance to win at one point. So, I mean, and then the Saturday game, LMU, LMU's win percentage when they got up by 12 was up to 87% chance to win. So, I mean, the fact that BYU found a, ways to win both those games when the margins, I mean, the chance to win was so s- slim, I think, I mean, it speaks volumes to a lot of things. I mean, I'm still, I haven't been the biggest proponent of Dave Rose this season. I thought he's checked out in a lot of ways. I mean, I don't think this week necessarily totally changes that, but I mean, I think I got to give kudos to him for just keeping the team um, playing well this back half of his conference season. Because I mean, coming into the non coming into conference season after non conference, I mean BYU, you knew BYU was pretty much out of the NCAA tournament picture. So the fact that he's kept BYU motivated, I think it speaks to big, big. I mean, it speaks a lot to Dave Rose and also to the players too, to the leaders on the team, to Yoli, to TJ, to Nick for keeping the team motivated. So that's one thing, just the fight in the team the second half. And then as far as, um, I guess, more X's and O's things, um, this week, it's kind of been kind of a trend the past month. BYU has been shooting the three ball a lot better, which has kind of contributed to this stretch that BYU has won, I believe now, what, five games in a row. Um, BYU has been shooting the ball a lot better. Uh, BYU, they shot, I think, from three, what, they shot around 40% and against LMU and 52% versus San Diego, which, I mean, prior to February, BYU wasn't shooting anywhere close to that. BYU shooting around 30% from three. I think a lot of that's due to Nick. Nick's finally starting to get into a groove. Um, I mean, the LMU game, he was struggling, but he hit that dagger at the end. It seems like the past two weeks or so, Nick's finally really come into his own. And down the stretch, he's been really clutch, which has kind of been his MO for his whole career. Even if he struggles, you always count a late basket from Nick, and that's totally what he provided against LMU. So I think that's one big key takeaway from this, that BYU is shooting the three ball a lot better. Um, You know what TJ provides. I mean, Nick's Nick's shooting really well. I mean, Zach Selyus at LMU, BYU wouldn't have won that game without Zach. He was four or four from three. So that's one of the big takeaways for me. BYU is shooting the three ball really well. It's, I mean... I mean, which is, you want to be playing your basketball at this point of the season. And I mean, that's what BYU is doing. Yoli's doing his thing. TJ had a career high versus San Diego. He had 35 points. He's still distributing the ball super well, even when he's not playing well. So, I mean, those are two of the big takes. Some of the big takeaways for me, BYU's fight in the second half, the three-point shooting, which is really big. And then TJ just, he's finding ways to take control of the game, whether it's scoring 35 points versus San Diego or a game at LME where he struggled, but still had a career high eight assists. So, so yeah, so those are, those are some of the things I liked. Um, uh, what, did, what did you like, Phil? What did you, what were some of the other things that, that you saw from, from those two wins? Yes. I just kind of want to piggyback off of what you were talking about and the importance of their increased efficiency on shooting, especially with the three pointer, uh, because we know that BYU tends to be a really fast paced offense, you know, and they get a lot of points in transition, mm-hmm. but you know, they have not been, especially last week, they did not do good in transition. Um, they only had two fast break points against San Diego and zero fast break points versus LMU, which mm-hmm. is, that's not your typical BYU team. And if they were any worse from the three point line, especially they would have lost both of those games. And so, you know, it's amazing that they've been shooting above their percentage and let's not take it for granted 
right now while they're still doing well. Yeah. No, that's a good point. You mentioned, I mean, BYU did struggle in the fast break. So, I mean, on one hand, it's, I mean, BYU needs to, that's, that's what BYU does. BYU goes up and down the floor. But on the other hand, it's good to see BYU win these type of games when they're not, you know, just getting a bunch of easy fast break points. So I think uh, that is, I mean, it, you want BYU to get a lot of fast break points, but it's kind of a double-edged sword. At the same time, it's good to see BYU, that BYU can win these type of games when BYU slows it down. Because, I mean, LMU is a team that's going to force you to slow it down. Um, San Francisco, they're going to they're gonna really try to slow BYU down. Um, St. Mary's, if BYU plays in the conference tournament, they're really going to try to slow BYU down. So it's good, finally, to see BYU. Because, I mean, they struggled a lot before in some of these slower-paced games, but it was really nice to see BYU finally, once they were kind of able to slow things down, they were able to get the ball down to Tioli and they were find open shooters out on the outside. So, I mean, that's going to really serve BYU well going forward. I mean, Gonzaga, they're going to be a fast-paced team, so BYU's going to need to score some fast break points if they have any chance to even keep that game close. But that's just something to kind of watch going forward. Um, and then some other things I liked... I mean, I, I swear, Gavin Baxter, he just he just loves LMU. Whatever it is, that was the game where he had 25 and 10 uh, a few weeks ago, kind of his breakout game, the Gavin Baxter game. But I mean, LMU, he was had 13 points, six of he didn't miss a shot. He was six of six, um, seven rebounds, two blocks, two steals. I mean, just the things he provides. I mean, the stat sheet. But even off the stat Spin sheet, Spin move. Yeah, 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 yeah Steve. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, showing your Gavin Baxter thunder here, Steve. Um, but I, he just loves LMU. I mean, if he just needs to present every game's LMU, and then he'll he'll be a WCC Player of the Year because I mean that guy just goes off when we play LMU. It's very true. He was he was incredible. I thought the thing about I mean he didn't obviously have 25 and 10 like yeah. he did last game. Not acceptable. Um, yeah, bad but, game. Yeah. <laughs> but even though, you know, I think he ended up with, you know, 13 points and I don't even remember how many how many rebounds he had. Yeah, um yeah, 13 and 7. So, you know, not 25 and 10 obviously like he had the first time, but he was just doing so many little things, meeting shots at the rim, uh getting steals, sticking his long arms out there. He was playing the top in the uh in the zone for a little bit there, which I thought was really interesting and was a really good look, um which I've kind of always thought might be, but uh it was nice to see it in action. Um and just using his length on the perimeter, I thought it was really at, at the top of the point of the attack on that zone was really, really interesting. So he was mm-hmm. just doing everything, even just like little tip outs. I think that the, yeah, I think it was the one that, that Nick, I think it ultimately wound up with Nick in the corner, which put BYU up three. Uh, that was a tip out that I think originally started, it was from on a TJ Haas three in transition and Gavin tipped it back out and then it cycled around and got to, uh, got to Nick in the corner for three. Uh, that was a huge play. And if, uh, if, if those types of plays, you know, don't get made um you know they don't win the they don't win that game right so it's 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 not just the big flashy things the spin move and dunk to tie the game which was admittedly awesome uh it's all the other little things he's doing as well i think it was was really great yeah. to see very very nate austin-esque who happens to be the graduate assistant <laughs> so maybe he's teaching gavin how to he's not well gavin's not taking charges yet so i guess nate's not too too involved in the game plan but no i totally agree gavin like the stat sheet was good but just, yeah even those little things um just that don't show up on the stat sheet necessarily those those little things i think helped out so i mean overall there's a lot of good things i mean Celius, that bench roll seems to be fitting him really well I mean, it seems like once he hits that first shot then he's good to go because i mean even the rebounding he's been rebounding well so if if you could get him and get Connor Harding going off the bench, then I mean that's that's a solid core moving forward. 
Yeah, it's been, it'll be really interesting to see kind of Zach. Zach has been great when we talked about this the last couple of weeks. He's figured out how to be more than a shooter. And that is incredibly good. It's very important for BYU for him to do things other than just shoot the ball well. Uh, and then as we saw versus LMU, when he shoots the ball well too, that's just like, you know, mwah, chef's kiss, right? Yeah. Uh, going four for four from three, making huge shots, but also doing all the other little things uh, on the boards and defensively uh, that he's been doing the last several weeks. So I think, you know, Zach is really rounding into form and the form I think we all hoped and expected to for him to have. Um, he's just doing it a little bit later. Uh, and I think that's true of the team generally, right? This is a team that really struggled for a really long time uh, and caused a lot of frustration, um, particularly in the non-conference and then early in conference play, um, and is now kind of starting to find their identity um, mm-hmm. and starting to kind of find who we thought they would be, right? Who we thought they would be at the beginning of the season, who we were excited about them playing uh, a really difficult, uh, really difficult non-conference schedule and maybe getting back to the NCAA tournament. The team that you're seeing now is the team we thought we would see six months ago. Um, That wasn't the case, obviously, but it's nice to finally see them kind of start to realize their potential, especially peaking at kind of this time of the year as we get to the tail end of February, heading into March, because, Mm -hmm. you know, the nice thing about college basketball is the season's never really over right yeah, i mean over, the, yeah. You, yeah it's not over till it's over until you lose that last game in the in the conference tournament you're you, you always have a chance uh to make something magic happen and get to the and get to the ncaa so you know if you're peaking at the right time you know and you get the second seed in the wcc which i think is a better than 50 50 shot now that they will um that's, you know, you have to win two games, right? And that's, you mm-hmm. still have to go through Gonzaga and that's still a huge, huge obstacle, but you never know what can happen in two days, right? It's two games, um, you're peaking at the right time, you never know. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit more later, what what are actually the realistic possibilities of, of BYU trying to get into the NCAA tournament even after all this. But I think, you know, at the very least, um, if you're going to step back and take a holistic look at, at this season and what it means for the program, the fact that, Dave was able to has been able to pull this team out of what was essentially a tailspin um, and at least at the very least save some face for the program and give folks some some uh, a little bit of good feels here at the end feeling like there was progress feeling like we finally found this team's identity and, and, and got them to a place where you know they started to live up to a little bit of potential I think that's I think that's worth celebrating and I think it's worth applauding him for and recognizing that's not to say that we also can't simultaneously believe that there are larger longer term structural challenges and problems in place in the program that mm-hmm. may very well need to you know necessitate a change in leadership in the near future in order to ensure the long term success of the program that can also be true, but it can be true at the same time that Dave Rose has done a good job pulling this team out of a pretty rough spot um, and getting them to this point. So that's been it's been it's been uh, cathartic to watch at the very least. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I mean, that has been encouraging to watch. It's nice. Even BYU is very likely not going to make the NCAA tournament. It's nice just to finally see some progress, especially from some young guys. I mean, we'll, and we'll still get one more year of TJ next year. I'm really excited to see what TJ could do his senior year. But I mean, overall, I mean, there was, I mean, BYU got two wins on the road. So, I mean, there was definitely some good things. But I mean, I wouldn't say the week was without worries or bad things. I mean, overall, BYU got the two wins, which is, I mean, definitely what you want to see at the end. But I mean, there's still a few things BYU needs to clean up. Um, 
one thing that was really frustrating, I guess, starting with that second game, the LMU game, BYU's been really good this year at not turning the ball over. And it's like, I mean, BYU shot really poorly from three. So luckily they're not turning the ball over. So that's just kind of the snowball effect. I mean, if you're shooting poorly and turning the ball over, you'll get, you'll lose a lot of games. But um, that LMU game, man, BYU struggled the first half taking care of the ball. I mean, LMU was – that's what they do. They clamp out – they clamp up on you on defense and they slow the tempo down. And, and BYU, they were just getting the ball taken from them. They were just getting a bunch of steals. I think – I don't know how many turnovers they exactly had in the first half. I think about 11 or so. But they finished just 15 for the game. So, I mean, that nearly cost – yeah, yes. Yeah, if you want to look that up, uh, uh, Phil, just see how many turnovers they had in the first half. Cause the, BYU, they had – 10 turnovers in the first half versus LMU and their WCC average per game is 10 for the entire game. So yeah, they were really struggling that first (laughs) half. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that first half, it always blew it for them in and of itself and BYU wasn't shooting bad, but they're just turning the ball over. That was really bad. And then the thing from the San Diego game, San Diego game, which is really concerning. I mean, BYU almost shot themselves in the foot after coming all the way back. They couldn't make a dang free throw at the end. Um, I went back to look in the final 315 of regulation. BYU was 3 of 9 from the free throw line. BYU was just awful from the line. Um, luckily, they finally they turned it around against LMU. In LMU, they went 18 through 21 and made their last 18 free throws. But, I mean, those are definitely two things you got to clean up. You got to make your free throws and, you, and take care of the ball. I mean, if you do those things, you'll be in pretty much every single game. So those were two big things that kind of stuck out to me um and we talked about the fast break points before bo wasn't getting fast break points but kind of ended up being a good thing because it showed bo you could win games in the half court um so and those are just kind of the things that stuck out to me was there any other glaring things that you saw steve i mean we got the wins obviously but that you saw that kind of was a cause for concern i mean i think it's just more the macro the macro problem of byu sucked in both those first halves, (laughs) right? They just came out flat. They did not look engaged. They went to halftime down nine against San Diego, down six uh, against LMU. That is – that, and you know, they came back from both of those, right? So it's all fine and good, but we can't – uh, it's it's actually not fine and good, right? Long term, we can't. And if you do like, that against Gonzaga, ex- yeah, right. If you do that against even against teams of this caliber, right? Even against teams yeah, like USC and LMU, it, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, that will kill you, right? There's a reason why the ESPN little predictor thing had San Diego State as like a nine or not San Diego, San, San Diego State, San Diego as like a 96 percent chance to win when BYU went down 14, right? Because 96 percent of the time, that's how it turns out. And so, if you keep, if it cannot become a habit, it's fine that it happened this week. They it didn't kill them. They dodged the bullet. They figured out. They had you know a couple extra lives stored up. They got two big wins. Great. The end result is the most important thing. But thinking about process, thinking about how what we carry forward, what they carry forward into a really big week, a, a now a week that is now even bigger than last week with games against San Francisco and Gonzaga. Um, they, they cannot start slow like that. You cannot come out flat, even at home against San Francisco, which is now the biggest game of the year. Um, you cannot come out flat like that. If they come out flat against San Francisco, San Francisco is good enough that even with the home court advantage and the Marriott Center crowd and all that stuff, they will kill you, right? You will not come back. Mm-hmm. I would not tempt fate a third time. And so it's no. really important that they that they figure out how to get themselves ready to play 
how to come out of the gate strong, how to be locked in and ready and engaged uh, from the from the opening tip. Because if they do this this week, they will lose two games and we'll be you know talking about how they squandered all the goodwill and momentum they built up over the last week doing having a really good road trip. Um, so I think that's the big thing, big thing for me. I think we've saw, we've seen, I don't think this is, I don't think this is a bad thing, but we've seen the the bench really get shortened, uh, the, especially this week. Uh, Rose only played kind of eight guys, um, which I think is, is pretty normal uh, at this, at this point in the mm-hmm. season. Normally Rose, you know, has his, you know, 10 or 11 guys that he cycles through, through a lot of the season. And then as it gets into February, I actually think he's, he's done it later this year. And he's talked about that a little bit. Uh, he shortens up the rotation and, and gets to like the eight guys that he really feels comfortable with. And I think he does that pretty much every year. Um, I think it happened later this year, just cause there was so much, uh, an uncertainty with this team and it wasn't really clear who those eight guys should be, but it seems pretty clear that, you know, the rotation is set now. It's, it's the five starters. Um, TJ, Nick, Gavin, uh, Yoli, and uh, McKay Cannon, and then the three guys off the bench being Zach Selyus, uh, Luke Worthington, and Connor Harding. Um, and so I think that's what you'll see kind of moving forward. I think that we know now what this team is going to be for the remainder of this of this season. I think guys like, you know, Rylan Bergerson and, and uh, Dalton Nixon and all those other guys who have put in minutes throughout the year, like, thanks for your service. We'll, we'll see you next year uh, unless somebody gets hurt or there's something weird that happens. Um, but it's, I think this is what this team is, is, is going to be as this is a rotation. And I think, you know, the results have uh, spoken for themselves recently. I mean, there's no reason to doubt that he's found the, the eight guys that are working right now. Um, and it's just a, it's a question of hoping and praying that they continue to work, particularly as BYU has yeah. has two really big games uh, coming up this week and then, you know, even bigger ones on the horizon in, in Las Vegas, obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, it puts BYU in an interesting spot right now. After those two wins on the road, um, and we always kind of do this, this reset in the middle, just where does this kind of leave BYU? So I guess where BYU is at right now, BYU is 18 and 10 overall. They're 10 and 3 in the WCC, which I mean, this is really the first time ever this at this juncture of the season that BYU hasn't had any bad losses yet in WCC play. I mean, they've only lost to the big, the Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and San Francisco, who are the three best teams along with BYU. So I mean, they're doing well in the WCC. I mean, two and a half back of Gonzaga. So if BYU wins their last three and if Gonzaga loses the rest, BYU is going to be the number one seed. <laughs> but uh, I think more more importantly, um, BYU is a game and a half ahead of San Francisco and St. Mary's for the second seed. So, I mean, I, people have been talking about it. I mean, and and someone on Twitter, uh, your boy RB on Twitter asked us, and I'll put it back to you guys too. Do you guys, do you think BYU has any shot at, making the NCAA tournament at a, as an at-large and I'll start first. So I guess does BYU have any chance of making the NCAA tournament as an at-large team, which I mean, at the beginning of a conference season, I would have said 0% chance. I still think it's slightly above that. Um, so here's what I think. So BYU's numbers right now, 73 in Ken Palm, 76 in net, which is the new kind of RPI um, that the NCAA selection committee is going to use as their base, like computer metric. So right now, BYU is definitely way on the outside looking at BYU. is not even one of the first four, eight, or 12 teams out. But um, BYU, the biggest the biggest thing about BYU 
did wrong is that those are that three game stretch where they lost to Illinois State, who's worse than we thought. They lost to Weber State and they lost to UNLV. I mean, granted, those are all away from Provo. I mean, those are killers and those are going to be anchors if BYU has any chance. Because, I mean, really the only way BYU has to get an at large bit if they win out going into the conference, going into the conference championship game. So that would include a win at Gonzaga, another win at San Francisco, and maybe a third against St. Mary's. Um, really the only hope BYU does have going for them. I mean, at Gonzaga is going to be, that would be a top five win. And then St. Mary's somehow is really good by the computer. So that could be a top 50 win and San Francisco is good. So, I mean, those will kind of help boost computers numbers, but I mean, best case scenario, BYU does win out. I'd put BYU's chances about 10% maybe just because that those non-conference losses are really going to kill BYU and Utah State's a solid win in non-conference and Utah that's their second best win and they're hovering right around 100 but so there's really not much to speak of a non-conference play which I think will really be would be BYU's undoing in this unlikely scenario if BYU does find themselves so um, I don't know what do you think, Steve? Does BYU have any shot at an at-large bid? Well, I've got I've got some numbers to throw at you guys and a little oh, a little game to play. Right. But I want to let Phil Phil jump in here. What what do you think? What give me a number? What's the what's the likelihood that BYU can can make the NCAA tournament this year? In your opinion? Well, I don't know if I can say zero percent on my first time on the podcast, so I'll say two percent. Um, I just at right. large, I don't think it's it's possible. Because you're going to have some like mid-major conference champions that don't win the tournament, like in the Missouri Valley or the MAC, and they're going to have to give it to them before they give it to yeah. BYU. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, always about to happen. They're uh, they're out there, and like you mentioned, Robbie, the uh, they are very very much on the the way outside looking in at the moment. But I want to. So before we do this, I have a little game. Um, but before I do it, I, I need to preface it by saying. I am in agreement with you guys that I think it's a very, very, very slim chance to non-existent that BYU will get uh, an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament this year. Um, and I've got some numbers that I can tell you about it in a minute, uh, about how slim those numbers are according to smart computers and algorithms and stuff. Um, I do think, again, I believe in the 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 bigger possibility of catching lightning in the bottle for two days in Las Vegas. Um, I think that's by far the most likely path for BYU to get to the NCAA tournament this year, even if that path isn't particularly likely. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's a hundred percent foolproof if BYU does it. That's true. That's true. Uh, Very, I'm not very, uh, not very optimistic that they're going to be Gonzaga on a neutral floor, uh, seeing as they never have, but you know, there's a first time for everything maybe. So, you know, if you, Hey, hey, don't, don't, don't disparage Jimmer that 2011, we beat him on a, Okay. Be on neutral this, force, in the post Jimmer so era, in the post Jimmer era, yeah. I should, okay, I should Thank say you. that we can't we can't blaspheme Jimmer like that. Yeah, the, so. in the worst, maybe the worst. Just shut up in Jimmer. So yeah, in, <laughs> we did beat them in with our best team in the last thirty years against maybe their yeah. worst team in the last thirty years. So yeah, hey, uh, it counts. It happened. So we should we should respect that and honor that here. Okay, so here's the game. I'm going to give you three. Uh, is a little blind resume test. I'm going to give you three NCAA tournament resumes with the team's name removed. Um, mm. And I'm going to ask for your guys' opinion on which one you think uh, feels the most, if there's one that feels, or two that feel like they're, they should be like more in contention, or if there's one that's not, or kind of how you're, how you're seeing it. All right? Does that All make right, sense? Let's go. All right. Yep, give it to us. 
Team A. This is Team A. Their overall record, they're 17 and 10. And okay. then in in the in the on the team sheet that the that the selection committee members get every there's when they get in the room there's a team sheet a sh- one sheet for every team and the win their record is split up on that sheet by quadrants right if you pay attention to college basketball you probably heard like a a tier one win a tier two win a tier three win yada yada and there's different qualifications for uh what counts in each so for example um like a quadrant one is uh, is a game against uh, uh, is a home game against a team ranked one through thirty in the net, a neutral game against a team ranked one through fifty, or an away game versus a team ranked one through seventy five, right? And so that would be if you're playing a game against if you win a game against a team like that, that's a quadrant one win versus a quadrant two is a slightly worse team versus a quadrant three is a slightly worse team, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, so this team is seventeen and ten overall, quadrant one games, so the games against the best teams. They're one and six. Quadrant two games, they're two and one. Quadrant three games, they're six and three. And quadrant four games against the kind of the dregs, they're 12 and 0. Okay. With a strength of schedule, uh, the 89th best strength of schedule in the in the country. Okay. 17 and 10, 89th strength of schedule. Um, one, one quality quadrant one win, um, kind of middling in, in the middle there. All That's right. That's so got one of those. Okay. Okay. Team B, they're 20 and six overall. So more oh, wins. Pretty solid gaudy record. Gaudy record. They're 0 and four against quadrant one, two and one against quadrant two. So same as team A. Against quadrant three, they're five and one. And then they're 12 and 0 uh, against quadrant four against the drag. Same as team, as team B. However, their strength of schedule is 168th in the country versus 89 for team A. So significantly worse strength of schedule. Okay? That's team B. Now team C, the last team in our equation. They are 18 and 10 currently. They're 0 and 6 versus quadrant 1. So against the really good teams, they have not broken through and gotten a win, similar to team B. Uh, quadrant 2, they're 3 and 0. So they have not lost kind of the against the second tier opponents, kind of the uh, which is probably really good teams, but at home, um, and then you know slightly less good teams on the road. Uh, quadrant three, they're six and four, so stumble a little bit there. And then against quadrant four, they're similarly undefeated as the other two, nine and zero. Oh. And they have a strength of schedule uh, of ninety three, so right about on par, right about on par uh, as with team A. So, having heard that, you have these three candidates. So you've heard their three resumes. Which do you think uh, should be in, in the mix for NCAA tournament at-large bid consideration? Well, I think if one thing we know, the NCAA committee, they don't value just your overall record. I did that You can throw it out the window. We saw last year St. Mary's had, what, 29 or 30 wins, and you'll get a Big East or ACC team in with 18 wins. So we throw it out the window. I'd say based on that blind st- test steve i'd say team a just because they do have that quadrant one win and their strength the schedule is slightly better than the other ones so i would say team a followed by team c with team b third so acb phil what do you think i'm gonna be boring and agree with robbie on this one i'm going team a team c team b all right would you like to know the identities of these teams yes let's reveal it to our audience who's anxiously waiting all right so the team a team a the one that you guys picked as first uh is saint mary's 
All right. 17 and 10 back. overall. <laughs> 17 and 10 overall. 89 strength of schedule. Got the one quadrant one win, which was, and I guess would this change your mind? It was over New Mexico State, like the third game of the season. It was a long right. time ago. So that does that affect Utah State is better. Okay. Maybe. That... Maybe. Um, okay. So team A was St. Mary's. Team B, the one you guys didn't like as much was San Francisco, 20-6 and six overall, 168 in the strength of schedule, pretty bad strength of schedule. No, you know, Tier 1 wins uh, and 2-on-1 and Tier 2s. Team 3, or Team C, is is BYU, 18-10, and 10, a similar record to, to St. Mary's overall, similar lack of success against Tier 1s, no no wins against Tier 1s, same as San Francisco, but 3-0 and in Tier 2 games, which I was surprised by. Um, no. Similar uh, similar challenges uh, in Tier 3, kind of to St. Mary's. St. Mary's is 6-3, and BYU 6-4, and four, and similar level of strength of schedule overall. So I was looking at these three because I was curious because St. Mary's and San Francisco, in all the bracketology conversations, they're firmly right on that bubble mix. They're in the kind of last four in, first four out type of category, both of them. Um, and I was like, is BYU really... I was just thinking about it. is BYU really that worse that, like that much worse than the other two teams and looking at the resumes looking at the numbers I don't think they are like looking at the results now the computers like uh St. Mary's they love and, St. Mary's I don't know why yeah, they like both of them I mean Ken Palm yeah. has has St. Mary's at 44 uh San Francisco at 48 and BYU is all the way down at 73 um the net is is similar B- St. Mary's 47 San Francisco 52 BYU is at 75 today um so there's a gap there and I'm not sure why just in terms of you know the quadrants and and where the wins come from and against who I'm sure there's some type of margin of uh, margin of victory or margin of loss built in there and all sorts of other things um so the computers don't like BYU as much, but in terms of what's mm-hmm. actually on the sheets that the committee gets, there's not that much difference. And so that's that was really interesting to me in that, yeah. you know, those other two teams, maybe just because of perception, because of how bad BYU looked in non-conference because of the bad, a couple of those losses, which, you know, obviously weren't so great. Um, but I don't think that the resume is that different overall. Yeah, the really thing that's anchoring BYU, BYU's four quadrant three losses, which isn't good. So, I mean... St. Mary's and San Francisco just don't have those. Luckily for BYU, they weren't at home at least. Houston's the only home loss and Gonzaga. But yeah, it's just if BYU had if BYU won all three though that trio of Weber State, UNLV, and um, what's Illinois State? If BYU won all three of those, or at least two out of the three, BYU would be in the conversation right now. Because I mean, Utah State, you look at Joe Lenardi, they're like the first team out, and BYU. I mean. They don't have very many good wins. So, I mean, BYU would be right on the cusp of them if BYU had won at least two of the three. But, I mean, we could be playing the what-if game forever. But, I mean, if BYU did beat Gonzaga on the road, BYU is at least in the conversation of, like, the next four out, which, I mean, with the way the non-conference season went is all you could ask for at this point. Yeah, I was doing... There's actually a great tool um, on barttorvik.com, B-A-R-T-T-O-R-V-I-K.com. I'd never used this website before. I stumbled across it tonight Steve, while I was looking is, stuff up. I think there's like three people been on that. It's just like some uh, random website you found. Or, no, or, it's a great... Uh, I was shocked. It's uh, a great right. statistical oh. tool. It's I'll like I, I, I'm going to say that it's the next Ken Palm, to be honest. Like, I think it's, oh, it's like Ken Torvik. Palm... Like Kempom level data, but it's free and you don't have to pay for it. And I actually think okay. there's like cooler tools. But anyway, he has this really cool tool that allows you to essentially take any team's schedule 
and they have like all the results there that they've already had. And then you can essentially assign like wins or losses for remaining games and slot in conference tournament games. And it kind of pro- it uses an algorithm to project out like how that will affect a team's like ability to make the NCAA tournament, like where they fall, right? And how much like certain results like increase their chance, their percent chance of getting an at-large bid. Um, it's really, it's really fascinating. So anyway, I ran the situation, I used this tool and it's just tons of data there. I would check it out. It's really cool. Um, but I ran this, I ran this tool for BYU. So if BYU, best case scenario, uh, short of actually, you know, winning the auto bid, if BYU wins out, until the WCC title game. So they beat San Francisco, they beat Gonzaga on the road, they beat San Diego at home, and then they beat, you know, let's say St. Mary's uh, in the semifinals of the of the conference tournament, then lose to Gonzaga in the finals. Best possible scenario. They have a 16% chance, according to this uh, simulation, to make the tournament as an at-large. They'd be the fifth team out. Um, so even in the most rosy, according to the, again, this is just one simulation. It's not yeah. taking into, into account, you know, other things that are happening elsewhere, bid thieving, uh, good teams falling apart down the stretch, all that stuff. But even in the best possible simulation, the best BYU can do if they don't win the auto bid is a 16% chance to make the tournament probably being the fifth team out. That's where those non-conference losses that you were talking about are really killing you, Robbie. Like, even if you do, that would be maybe the best WCC slate ever for BYU, right? No bad losses, win over a really good Gonzaga team, taking care of business, getting at least a split with the other two really good teams uh, in the conference. That would be the best BYU, I think, has ever played in the WCC. And they still are not going to make it because the non-conference was such a dumpster fire. Now, the other thing, if BYU only loses to Gonzaga, so if they lost to Gonzaga on Saturday and then lost to them in the finals, but won every other game, which I think is probably the most likely scenario, right? Um, Or at least the most likely of the good scenarios. There's likely bad scenarios where they fall apart too. But of the likely good scenarios, that's the most likely one. Uh, this this simulation gives them only a three percent chance uh, in that situation of making the uh, the NCAA tournament, which pretty which puts us puts it pretty much where we all about expected, right? If it's not zero, it's pretty close to zero. Um, yeah. So despite you know good run of play recently, lots of reasons to be optimistic about you know the direction the team is is headed and feeling better about where they're at and how they're playing. Uh, it hasn't really changed the fundamental calculus uh, of kind of their postseason aspirations, which is realistically, this is an NIT team uh, unless magic happens in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before we move on, because before we beat this to the ground too much, I will say the one shot BYU does have that they have going for them. I mean, to get an at large bid, I mean, winning at Gonzaga would obviously be a huge resume booster. And then San Francisco, is maybe like a, they're around 50 in Ken Palm and Net. So that'd be like a potentially a top 50 win at home. And then St. Mary's, if they play them in the conference tournament, could be a top 50 win on a neutral floor. So I mean, those are three potential resume boosting wins. I mean, I don't expect that to happen, particularly the Gonzaga game. So I mean, this will probably be a moot point next week. But I mean, there are ample opportunities to I mean, probably too little, too late, but at least ample opportunity. You never know what could happen in the rest of the country to at least put yourself on the piece of paper on the NCAA committees sheet when they're making their decisions you at least be in the conversation which i mean at this point is all you could ask for so i mean it's very unlikely but i mean two months ago we said there is zero chance at least there's a chance now but i mean yeah but i mean yeah something interesting to think about we don't want to beat this to death for 20 minutes but 
BYU at least has a chance to be in the conversation, which I, I think at this point is all you could ask for. Right. And it's, you know, it's uh, these decisions are made by humans, right? The, the field yeah. isn't filled out by computers. And so like a couple years ago, the last time BYU made the NCAA tournament, I think the only reason they made it and they kind of sneaked in at, at the very end was because they beat Gonzaga, right? In a year that Gonzaga mm-hmm. was really good and people yeah, they were sat number up three. And, yes, people mm-hmm. sat up and took notice and like, oh, well, that's a huge win. And it totally changed like the perception of their of that team in that season. I'm not saying that's going to happen this time, um, but you know, just because the computers say a certain thing doesn't mean that human beings will react in the same way, um, which is worth remembering. Yeah, and I think the one last point. I think that the turn the committee does. I mean, they don't necessarily say it, but they have kind of said it. The years past, they do take into account how well you end the season. I mean, if you are really hot going to the NCAA tournament, and if you do have guys that could take over games, I remember them saying when BYU made the NCAA tournament, um, I think I can't remember if it was the year they lost to Ole Miss or the year they lost to Oregon. Uh, I think it was the year they lost to Oregon when Cal Collinsworth got injured. But, but you, anyways, the reason they part of the reason BYU got in because BYU had a guy like Tyler Haas and Kyle Collinsworth, guys that could really take over games. I mean, BYU has that now and TJ and Yoli, so. And they have that going for them. Like again, this will be a moot point next week when BYU loses to Gonzaga. But I mean, it's something fun to think about. Yeah. So let's let's dive into that. Let's talk about this week. Uh, two big games, and I've already declared the San Francisco game as the most important game of the season. At least if you know you view kind of the the championship of this BYU basketball team to be getting second the place. second seed in the, in the <laughs> WCC, yeah. uh, which is pretty good. They haven't gotten second seed in many many years. Um, yeah. So that's so that's great. Uh, so. Tell me, Robbie, tell me what, what should we be watching for? USF Thursday, Gonzaga Saturday. What's what's on deck this week? We've seen both these teams once already, but what should we be watching for? Yeah, I mean, we saw before um, BYU got beaten handily by San Francisco 82-63 to on January 19th. Uh, Phil, can you look up real quick? I'm curious to see how Yoli and TJ did that game against uh, San Francisco because I can't remember how they did. But, I mean, we'll get Phil to look that up for us. But, I mean, yeah, we saw that game. And BYU, they started good the first 10 minutes. And then it was just, it was bad from there on out. Frankie Ferrari did really good for USF. Um, BYU just couldn't do anything that game. Um, And then, but San Francisco, it's been interesting lately. They've been kind of down a little bit the past few weeks. I mean, just last game on Saturday, they needed overtime to beat Portland. And we know how... uh, how good Portland is, right, Steve? Uh, Portland is an incredible basketball program, Robbie. I don't know what you're talking about. No. I've never said that they're no. the We're not basketball about the, equivalent yeah. of dog poop. I've never said that. Never. I think we didn't spend 30 minutes of our last podcast just berating Portland for 30 minutes. But I mean, they need overtime to be freaking Portland. I mean, that that's pretty embarrassing. And the game before that at home, they were down by eight at halftime to Pepperdine. They ended up winning that game. But so it seems like the past month, I don't think they've had injuries, but they've just been a little bit down for whatever reason. And coming with BYU being at home, um, I know I, with the way BYU's been playing, I, I feel good about BYU's chances. I mean, San Francisco still is good. Um, and they got Frankie Ferrari, who's we know he can do, and they got a, a deep team that could play nine or ten guys deep. But yeah, they've been down a little bit. But yeah, it, it really all comes down to this. Um, it, do you have those? So do you have those uh, numbers, Phil? I'm just curious. Like, yeah, it didn't seem like Yoli TJ did much against that San Francisco game last yeah, time. Yeah, in the San Francisco game, Yoli played 37 minutes, had 20, mm-hmm. 25 points, but it was extremely inefficient. He was nine of 21 shooting, and he only had yeah, yeah, and he only had four rebounds too. And then mm. TJ played 36 minutes, and he only had 12 points on five of 10 shooting. 
um, and then two assists and two turnovers. So they each could have been a lot better. Yeah, even for TJ, it seems that was one of the few games where he didn't do great scoring and he didn't assist the ball. So yeah, I remember Yoli, I mean, San Francisco, they do reason they did give BYU trouble they have a, a big front line they have like three guys that like six eight and above they could they could throw at Yoli which for the WCC really the only teams that could do that are Gonzaga and St. Mary's that have that type of size on the inside so I think that will give BYU some trouble but I mean you hit it right in the head Steve I mean this is the most important game of the year for BYU um San Francisco after, they still have to play at San, at home versus San Diego I believe so I mean that's not going to be easy for them um, but BYU is definitely their toughest game of the year. So if BYU wins that, they pretty much the guarantee to finish above San Francisco. And then St. Mary's also has to play at Gonzaga, or they play Gonzaga at home, so they have to play Gonzaga as well. So, I mean, if BYU wins this, then they're sitting really comfy getting that second seed in the triple bye into the semifinals of the WCC tournament. Yeah, I'll say that this is the game for the second seed, right? Because I'm going to bet that mm-hmm. Gonzaga is going to paste St. Mary's in that last game, which takes St. Mary's out of the picture. Um, if assuming BYU beats San Diego, right? Yes, assuming BYU or even BYU, well, even BYU loses San Diego, I still think they'd get the second seed. Uh, it depends on the Gonzaga game at that point, yeah. but um, so let's yeah. just assume for this for the point of my comment that that they're that they're going to beat San Diego, um, which they should at home. Um, so. Let's assume they're also going to lose to Gonzaga. Um, so there's one loss on the on the calendar. If they lose to San Francisco and lose to Gonzaga, and San Francisco wins out the rest of their remaining games, the best BYU can do is tie San Francisco. And they lose the tiebreaker because the first tiebreaker is head-to-head, and they'll be 0-2 versus San Francisco on the year. So... This is this is this is it, right? For second seed, unless something super weird happens, and you know San Francisco loses at home to San Diego, which I guess is possible, but I would say not likely. Um, this is this is if you want the second seed and the triple buy and the the you know the uh, mythical <laughs> conference championship, the non Gonzaga section conference championship. Uh, <laughs> this is it. Yeah. This is the championship game. So get ex- get excited. This is a big game. This uh, is it. And hopefully BYU doesn't mess it up. <laughs> they should win. They should win this game. Um, but especially at home with the with the advantage and everything, and like you said, San Francisco not playing well. But it, it's a real big one, and I'm sure that San Francisco is going to bring their uh, bring their A game because they know it's a big one too. Obviously. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, I mean it's just funny. I mean, it's because Gonzaga's so far ahead of the rest of the conference. It's like they're not even like on our minds for like it's like oh yeah, it's like then I'm thinking now the BYU could win. Oh wait, no, BYU doesn't win. They just get second place in the WCC. So it's just because Gonzaga is so stinking far ahead. But yeah, it, yeah, this is a huge game. I hope the crowd shows up on a Thursday. I don't think it's a super late one, but um, yeah, like I said, San Francisco has been down a little bit, but they're still a really good team. They already have 20 wins on the season. So, I mean, yeah, it all comes down to that. BYU wins definitely the driver's seat for second, and then the back half of that. And uh, BYU, which used to be Provo North <laughs> until BYU lost last year, but BYU still won their three the last four years at the Kennel, at Gonzaga. I mean, we don't need to dive deep. I think how good Gonzaga is. We, they I mean they beat St. Mary's by forty eight a couple weeks ago. But I will say this, Steve, about Gonzaga. Um, this past week on the road, they went to LMU and to San Diego. So the same thing that BYU did. I mean, those both of those teams gave them a game i mean lmu had a lead in the final 10 minutes which i mean i think you can 
I think you could consider a win with the way the season has gone for LMU. It's kind of that that's a moral victory you take to the bank. And then even San Diego gave them a game. I mean, it was within single digits in the last few minutes. So, I mean, it's good that they, I mean, definitely look at, we're scraping first, finding, trying to find some silver lining here for BYU. I mean, Gonzaga has at least look some form of, they have looked a little bit mortal the past week in WCC play, which is, a lot more than you could could have said the first month of the half of conference season when they're winning games by like an average of 35 points. So I will say that at least. I mean, we, BYU definitely will be confident going into the kennel because BYU's won there three times. Um, Nick Emery's never lost there before. Uh, he's 2-0 there. I mean, and it just seems that TJ and Nick, those guys really thrive in those situations. I mean, I was at that game in the kennel two years ago and it was just TJ and Nick, they just they loved that atmosphere. I mean, they were just staring down the student section. Like it was seriously just so cool. They just like loved that environment. So, I mean, I mean that they do play well in that environment, but I mean, we know how good Gonzaga is, but I mean, I will at least say that Gonzaga has at least looked semi-mortal the past week. I mean, this is like, this is how it goes every year, right? Mm-hmm. This is the time of the calendar where Gonzaga gets bored, yeah. right? They've been beating everybody <laughs> by like 45 points <laughs> and they get bored. And then there's like a bunch of like spokesman review think pieces about, oh, is this Gonzaga team flawed? They don't, they have this big weakness. Yeah. And then they activate death and mode in the WCC tournament and destroy everybody. <laughs> and then they go and like go to the Elite Eight or yeah. whatever. I yeah. don't know. Or the championship game a couple years ago. Yeah. This is how it goes every year, and this, but this is like the period of time when BYU has won, oftentimes won that game in Spokane. Yeah. They normally play the second game uh, in Spokane, and they kind of catch Gonzaga in this weird, like we're kind of bored and disengaged and beating two people by too many points type of milieu, right? And they sneak away with a win, and they did it a couple times. I don't know that that will work anymore, uh, particularly after they beat them and tarnished their uh, their undefeated season uh, which I think yeah. has forever woken up the the, the kennel and uh, to, to BYU's sneaky sneaky ways but uh, you know it's I, I just think this team is is so good I'm not sure where there's the weakness I know Phil you were at the the first game in Provo what is there is there any way to exploit the death machine is there a is there an exhaust vent that you can fire some <laughs> uh, proton torpedoes through to use a Star Wars reference <laughs> Um, I, I really don't think there is, they're just way too good. And I don't know if they're as good or better if than their national championship team a few years ago, but they're just so solid, you know, yeah, they're dang good. yeah, they got Brent, you know, you got Clark and Hetchimer and, and Tilly, you know, on the front court and then their back court is just so solid and they just, they're smart. They don't make mistakes. Yeah. yeah. It's true. I guess it was one thing. I guess Tilly, he did, he re aggravated yeah. that foot last week. So, I mean, that's one less guy in the front line for them. But, I mean, yeah, they're so good. Here, here's my conspiracy theory, Steve, about Gonzaga. I think they blow this game to BYU because then BYU leaps into the top 50 of like Ken Palmer RPI and then it gives Gonzaga two extra top 50 <laughs> wins so they could get a good seed the NCAA tournament. That's that's my conspiracy theory because if BYU wins this, they. They'd rock it up about 20 spots or so. So maybe Gonzaga will do that to give themselves a couple top 50 wins. So they that's can a get pretty a good tinfoil seed. hat theory there, Robbie. Maybe that's what they've been doing all along. Maybe they've been letting us win in the kennel to boost yeah. their own RPI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think and I think Mark Few, anything Mark Few could do to get at Randy Bennett, even at even if it 
helps Dave Rosa. I think maybe he likes that too. But that's my conspiracy theory for the day. So I like take it. that take yeah. But I mean, yeah, we've been rambling on for a while. I think it's been a good episode though. It's been fun having Phil on his insights. But as we always do, let's wrap up with predictions. Um, I'll give mine and then we'll kind of take it around. So first Thursday night uh, versus San Francisco at home. I, I do think BYU wins, partly because the way BYU is kind of hitting their stride of the regular season. And San Francisco, no, they haven't been losing a lot. They haven't been looking quite as good as they did pre-February. So I'd say BYU wins that game in San Francisco by about five points. And then Gonzaga, I mean, so I mean, BYU's, I predict BYU is going to lose. And it, I think BYU, they tend to, for some reason, even last year when they lost, they still played well at the kennel. I think... BYU loses by about 14 points at the Kendall. I think the spread's going to be in the low 20s. I think BYU covers the spread. They show up well, but lose by about 14 at the Kennel. That's my prediction, one and one. So I'll hand it off to you, uh, Phil. What do you think, Phil? Do you see a split, 2-0, and 0-2? Oh, yeah, I predict it'll be a split, one and one. I think BYU will be able to protect home court against San Francisco, and I think they'll win by about eight. Um, but then going to, mm-hmm. going to the kennel is just going to be too difficult for them this year. So uh, I'll say lose. Yeah, yeah they're going to lose by. Uh, I'll say twelve. Twelve. Yeah, yeah I take that. Right, Jeez, you Steve, guys are optimistic. You, yeah, you saying own two, Steve? No, I, I think we're going to win. I think we're going to oh, win okay. at home against uh, San Francisco. Lock up that uh, that sweet, sweet two seed, the uh, mm. the, the Moral Victories <laughs> Championship Put of the WCC. Up. Put up the Moral Victories banner. It's going to be beautiful. Yes. Uh, I think we're just going to, you know, we're going to contain uh, Frankie Ferrari. I think his uh, his cousins, Polly Portia and Mikey Maserati, uh, might, might give us a little bit of a problem. Uh, you know, is the guys Tony, my guys Tony Toyota and, and Harry Honda might be a, a real a real handful down low, but I think we'll come out with the uh, uh, a, a, come out with a solid victory uh, at home against San Francisco, and then I think in terms of uh, Spokane, uh, I, there will be blood. Um, I think that Gonzaga is going to drink our milkshake, uh, to use the famous words of Daniel Plainview, uh, and just just destroy us for sport and rip us limb from limb uh, for the delight and and joy of those rabid kennel people. Uh, it will be bad. It will be it will be maybe not the thirty points that they beat us in the Marriott Center by, but at least by twenty. That's my All that's right. my take. As long as it's better than the forty eight they beat St. Mary's by. Oh then, uh, gosh. That was so gross. <laughs> that was. The biggest thing, yes. I mean, Randy Bennett gave Mark Hugh a bro, bro hug at the end. I was just like, whoa. Because, I mean, that's not what Randy Bennett does. So, I mean, I think you're probably right. It's probably 20 plus. But I, don't, I just think Billy just plays so well at the kennel. Like, you see in their eyes, they just get so motivated and they prepare so well. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, you're probably right, Steve. But, I mean, I we'll see. I, I'd love to see another upset beat another the number two or number three team in yeah, the nation. Yeah, to be fair, I wanted to say Gonzaga would beat BYU by 20, but I didn't want BYU fans to hate me on my first podcast. So I, I ran yeah. it in a little bit. Don't worry, you're with us. You're with us, Phil. Yeah. They're going to hate you anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is a good... It is also a good thing, a good opportunity to leave this on an uplifting note, which is to remind everybody that Randy, ben, Randy Bennett is Satan incarnate and he is bad and you should not like him, and we should oppose everything that he does because he's a bad person. Um, so on that up- inspiring and uplifting note, let's leave it off for this week. 
This is a big week, guys. Big, big game on Thursday. If you are in Provo, go to the game. Be loud. Don't sit at home on your couch. Don't be lame. Uh, we need the Marriott, Marriott Center advantage. There's nothing we could do about Gonzaga. They're going to murder us regardless. Uh, but San Francisco, we can do something about that. Robbie and I will be there. We'll, you can follow along with our tweets. Robbie, uh, at RT McCombs on the Twitter machine. Uh, I'm at Post Jimmer. And Phil, Phil, what's your what's your Twitter handle? Give it to the people. I'm at TarHillCougar14. Well, that's unfortunate, but uh, I'm not. A, I can't. I can't get down with this North Carolina business. I'll tell you the story another time yeah. offline. But born uh, and bred, baby. Born give and bred. give Tar Heel Cougar. What was the number? Fourteen. Fourteen. A follow. Phil's got hot takes, hot insights that he wants to share with you. Uh, and you know, we, we're here to, if nothing else, to get Phil's followers up. Uh, so I guess you know, do the thing. Go to the go to the game. Go to the sports. BYU. Try and win. Get that moral victories championship. Hang the banner. Uh, and then hopefully that gives us uh, something to talk about next week. So we'll see you then. Go Cougars.